Welcome back, listeners of the Calvary Cast. If you listen didn't listen to last week's podcast, go back and listen to that now. Right? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Calvary Cast, a podcast from Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of His people, and the Great Commission. We're gonna cut to the. We're gonna skip the banter this week uh, because it's the same day as the podcast you just listened to last week, and we're continuing our discussion of the mess, the prophetic passages in Isaiah seven, nine, and eleven about. The birth of Christ uh, passages that we often think on and reflect on over Christmas, and so we're we're paying close attention to those. Last week's podcast we talked about um, Isaiah seven fourteen in the prophecy that behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. We talked about the context around that and how that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um, and so now what we want to do is we want to continue to move through these passages, and we're going to move our way up to Isaiah nine, uh, specifically like verses six and seven, which are familiar to you. Uh, but before we do that, we want to pick up because this is a, these passages all run together and, uh, and so we need to kind of talk about what's going, going on in them. So if you remember in chapter seven, Ahaz is really fearful about, um, this alliance of the king of Syria and the king of Israel, and, uh, they're going to come against Judah and Jerusalem and he's fearful about that. And so in chapter, the remainder of chapter seven, and moving into chapter 8, we have a picture of what uh, the judgment by the nation of Assyria against the nation of Israel will look like. Okay, Because remember, Israel is the northern ten tribes, uh, and they are going to be uh, taken out of the land by the nation of Assyria. And so the Lord is giving Ahaz and Isaiah and other faithful believers a picture of what that judgment is going to look like. Israel is an idolatrous nation that has... Um, wandered away from the Lord, and so they're going to be judged for that. And so what happens in chapter 8 is a picture of what this Assyrian invasion will look like. And you can read like verses 1 through 8, and you'll get a picture of that. And then starting like in verse 11, there's a word of encouragement to the faithful, um, to those who hear the word of the Lord alone. Isaiah says something like, uh, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread. And then like over in verse 20, he says, to the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. So he's really talking about the importance of listening to the word of God and not listening to to other words, but hearing the word of God alone. And there's a contrast in these verses between the believing remnant, those who believe Yahweh's word, who hear the word of the prophets like Isaiah and believe what's being said, and those who don't, who listen to false prophets. And that'd be men like Ahaz. Ahaz was a disbelieving guy. He didn't believe the word of the Lord. And so all of what happens in chapter 8 leads us into chapter 9. And chapter 8 ends with this phrase in verse 22, uh, speaking about those who do not believe the word of the Lord. It says, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And really, for kings like Ahaz, uh, for the, the northern kingdom of Israel, they look to the surrounding nations, they look to their own military might and power, they look to the earth to deliver them, but what did they have? Thick darkness. But now Isaiah is going to contrast those who believe the Lord. 
And he says in verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 1, familiar passage, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so he's saying there's hope, there's light. And he's speaking about a latter time that is going to come in verse 2, uh, and well, verses 2 through 7, really. This whole thing is a latter time. And Isaiah writes this an interesting note. He is so sure of this word of the Lord that's going to come true that it's written in the past tense. You know, if you notice, uh, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. It, it's already happened. They've seen it. He's so sure of this because it's a word of the Lord. It's, it's, it will come true. Um, so those who are walking in darkness can already see the great light and are sustained by hope is, is what he's saying. They have eyes of, of faith. So when this latter time comes, in verses 2 through, if you have your Bible, you should be looking and following along. Uh, when this latter time comes, there will be light in verse 2. There will be joy in chapter 9, verse 3. There will be a lifting of the burdens, chapter 9, verse 4. And there will be victory, chapter 9, verse 5. And this comes about because the rightful king is ruling. And that's really what he gets to in verses 6 and 7. This rightful king is ruling. What kind of king is this? What kind of child is this that is born uh, going all the way back to 714? And that's where we see all these statements that we read about uh, Christ at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what we primarily hone in on at Christmas time are the verses uh, 6 and 7, right? Yeah. So, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, you know, you even think about the concept in verse 6, connecting it to what was told Ahaz, the sign would be mm. that a, 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 child, a would be, child would be born. Yeah. And here you have the same thing, right? That idea of the uh, of a coming child who will be born. And um, a unique child, a special child. And um, in that phrase, too, to us a son is given. We can't read that now without uh, seeing uh, more in it than just the fact that this child to be born that we're looking for would be a son. Mm. He is a son yeah. that was given, right? So mm. we think about John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. Okay, so this is the divine son, mm. uh, of the son of God given to us. Um, it, it's quite amazing to think about. Um, some of the 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 names he'll be called, things like Wonderful Counselor, of course, Mighty God, so he's divine, right? So we see both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Everlasting Father, we don't always think about that in relationship mm. to the Lord, but... We think about it in uh, relationship to John 1, right? The eternal word. Yeah, right, uh, exactly. connection there. Yep. Uh, the Prince of Peace. And then, of course, the the idea of him ruling... Uh, on the throne of David. He's mm -hmm. a king. Yeah. He's going to rule over Israel and ultimately all 
of the world. And we we call him God's forever king over God's forever kingdom because of passages like this. Uh, he's going to, uh, on the throne of David and over his uh, kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Yeah. And so when we think about Christmas uh, time and we think about this passage, that last phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, we can say that in many ways the zeal of the Lord of the hosts has done this, yeah. and he's done it now in his son, Jesus. Hmm. That's good. The other thing I was thinking about, too, like when we talked about that, or you talked about this a number of weeks ago in your sermon, but like Matthew stresses the genealogy of Christ and connecting, you know, it, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So Matthew really stresses that yeah. aspect that Jesus was a descendant of David. He has the right to sit on this throne, mm. uh, a throne that, remember, the Lord made that covenant to to David that there would be a descendant of his forever sitting on the throne of David. And then also even, you know, connect Romans chapter 1 connects the sonship aspect, that Jesus is the Son of God and a descendant of David when Paul says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. So yeah. Paul connects both of those that's things right. together for us that's right. in Romans 1. That's good. So that's uh, that prophecy in chapter 9. So what we're gonna, I want to continue uh, looking here for a few more minutes at what Isaiah is doing. So Isaiah 9 He's given this hope to the faithful remnant who are believing Yahweh's word, this hope of this coming son and what his rule will be like. And it's so sure that it's in the past tense because it's going to happen. And then starting in verse 8 of chapter 9, he shifts gears again and he goes to another word of judgment. And this time he's speaking a word of judgment on Israel, the northern kingdom, or he calls them Ephraim. And he says in chapter 9, verse 8, the Lord has sent a word against Jacob, so they're Israel and Judah, and it will fall on Israel, so the northern kingdom. And really, this is a a judgment for Israel's sin. Israel is an arrogant nation. You look at verses 10 through 13 and see that. They listen to false prophets. You can look at verses 15 through 16 in chapter 9 and see that. They are godless. They are idolaters. And you could look at verses 17 through 21 and see how, how they do that. And then once we get through into chapter 10, and then starting in verse 5, there's still a word of judgment that is falling, but this time now not on the nation of Israel, but on Assyria, the nation the Lord has used to carry Israel into judgment. Remember, Ahaz was fearful of, of the alliance of Israel and Syria, and now Israel is not going to exist anymore because Assyria is going to carry them into judgment. And Assyria, they too will be judged for their wickedness. One of the interesting things about the history of the nation of Israel is the Lord initially used them as his instrument of divine punishment against wicked nations, and then he used wicked nations as the instrument of divine punishment against them because they were uh, idolatrous and they, they disobeyed the covenant. So, starting in chapter 10, verse 5, the Lord speaks a word of judgment against arrogant Assyria. They, too, will be judged. Uh, they do not understand that they are the rod of the Lord's anger, chapter 10, verse 5. The staff in their hands is my fury, says the Lord. Rather, they think that through their might and strength, they have thrown down Samaria, which is the capital of Israel. And so, therefore, they think they're going to do the same thing to Jerusalem. 
Uh, and you can look at chapter 10, verses 10 through 11 and see that. But ultimately, we see in chapter 10, verse 12, an interesting phrase uh, where the Lord says that the destruction of Syria or uh, Samaria is the Lord's work. Uh, it, is, it is not the work of Assyria. He says, when the Lord has finished all his work on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will punish the speech of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the boastful look in his eyes. So Assyria is arrogant. They're boastful. They think they're too big to fall, really. And then moving on through chapter 10, we get to chapter 20, and we see Isaiah returns again to this theme of the remnant, uh, which he first introduced back in chapter 9. And these are those faithful ones who believe Yahweh, who believe his his word. And it says, and this is uh, ultimately going to find its fullest fulfillment in the future. Uh, I don't think it's happened yet. Uh, this remnant will return to the mighty God, he says in chapter 10, verse 21, which connects us to 9-6. So we know that he's speaking about this remnant uh, returning to, to Christ. So we think this is still a future uh, fulfillment that will, that will happen. And in chapter 10, like verse 20, there's some interesting things that, that uh, Isaiah does for us. Uh, he talks about what the destruction or the advance of Assyria through Israel will look like. So verses 28 through 32, he's describing uh, different cities that will be captured by Assyria, what this advance will will look like. But he says at the end, in verse 32, they will not be able to take uh, Judah or Jerusalem. They will be stopped there. And the reason is, is because the Lord says no further. He allows these nations to go in judgment to a certain extent, and then they stop. And then the Lord strikes them down. Verses 33 and 34 show Assyria almost as a felled tree. Uh, they are, he says, uh, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power. So Assyria, this mighty nation that has destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, will fall like a, a tree, and it will be a great and glorious fall. But there's something else that's happening in these verses, in 33 and 34, when it's talking about uh, the bows being trimmed down, the thickets of the forest being cleared. Uh, I think it's a connection also to what 11.1 says, when it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So there's, I think here, a, a near and a far fulfillment. So the near fulfillment would have been Assyria, like a tree, falls greatly. But there's also this other picture that Isaiah has already started to draw for us. Um, all the way back in chapter 6, in verse 13, he said this about the nation of Israel. He says, he's speaking about the uh, Isaiah's task as a prophet and how long he is supposed to prophesy. And uh, the Lord says that he does this until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And then this is the important verse. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So what Isaiah now moves to do in chapter 11, starting verse 1, is he's pictured for us the nation of Israel has come under great distress. They've been carried off into captivity. Uh, they're like a fallen tree. Uh, all that's left is the stump. But if you've ever cut down a tree, there can still be life in that stump. A shoot will often come out of it. And so that's what Isaiah moves to do now. He gives us hope 
there this there's life in this stump and he says that that will come from the root of Jesse or from from Jesse a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and this immediately draws us again to Christ so this this prophecy in Isaiah 11 there's again Jesus comes and fulfills this in two ways and we'll look at one in in Luke chapter 4 but we see uh what this is often referred to as the righteous reign of the branch. So if, if Israel is a fallen tree, a felled tree, all that's left is a stump. Out of that stump comes a shoot, and out of that shoot comes a branch, and the branch is Jesus. And in this passage, we really see what his reign and rule will look like. So we'll see in verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, we jump down to verse 6, uh, speaking of a future reign of peace. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. And then we jump ahead to verse 10 in this wonderful word, uh, speaking about the day that the righteous branch, Jesus, is reigning as king. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So we should talk about uh, how much of this has been fulfilled, what is yet to be fulfilled, because uh, I think that's kind of where this passage leads us. Yeah, well, I think in order to answer that, wouldn't we look at uh, Luke chapter 4? And um, in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So that's pretty powerful. Yeah. Right? And that kind of shows um, maybe some of the division of Isaiah mm -hmm. 11, though, of where there is still more to come. And yeah. there's a lot there in the rest of that that describes the time of the kingdom and the peace that will be there and the righteousness that will be there. Um, and, and that time is to come, mm -hmm. but, uh, he was describing the nature of his ministry on the uh, first yeah. arrival there and him as the one who was, uh, the anointed one, you know, the Messiah and, and, uh, the, the one that Isaiah was writing about. And even that's a really powerful thing to think about. I mean, he is, he was very, he was, uh, consciously aware of who he was, and what he had come to do. Yeah. And if you would have been sitting in there listening to that, and then he says, this is <laughs> now been fulfilled. fulfilled. Yeah. I mean, that is really a powerful statement about yeah. Jesus. You know, the thing Isaiah doesn't get to in Isaiah 11 is the suffering that he would go through in order to have this kingdom. But he'll get to that in chapter 53. Yep. Um, and that's, again, you know, it's so important to read the Old Testament, see that, and then see how Jesus comes and fulfills that. And there are so many places in the New Testament where he says, this, you know, or or uh, like Matthew said, you know, this was to fulfill what the prophet said, mm -hmm. or, you know, the gospel writers say things like that. Um, 
But the other thing I was thinking about this is just to tie this again to Christmas and to the Advent season, we cannot sell ce- we cannot celebrate the birth of Christ without thinking about a second advent. They're just right. Isaiah does this for us. I think yep, he yep. inherently inherently ties all of these things together. The the promise of the the virgin bearing a son, mm-hmm. the chapter nine passage, you know, who is this child that will be born? What kind of a king will he be? And then you get to his reign in chapter eleven. You can't celebrate Christmas without thinking about the second advent of Christ and looking forward to that day yeah. when the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for all people and the, his dwelling place will be glorious. That's right. Isaiah 11, and Jesus helps us do that as well in Luke 4, yeah. saying there's more to come. There's I only more to come. quoted part of this, and obviously all of that's going to be fulfilled in me, Yeah, but it's more to come. That's one of the main messages of Chris, Christmas time. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Cast. We hope this podcast has been encouraging and edifying for you. We always love to hear from our listeners. If you have topics or passages of Scripture you want us to address, why don't you just send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. If you're part of our church, then send us a text, give us a phone call, or just talk to us in person. The Calvary Cast is a production of Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. We exist for the glory of God, the good of His people, and the Great Commission. So until next time.